All right, when you know that Pastor David's doing the children's sermon, he probably has brought what with him? Legos. Legos, that's right. Now, this is sort of, this week is a neat week because I get to bring not only something that shows my love for Legos. You guys come around over this way. There's plenty of room over here. But also my love for space flight. I love all things NASA, right? Like space shuttles and space stations and all that. And can anybody tell me what is, we're going to celebrate the 50th anniversary of this week. You guys sit down over on the floor, okay? Anybody know? Anybody out there? What happened 50 years ago this week? The moon landing. That's right. So I have brought for you my Saturn V model rocket here. Now this thing, can anybody guess how tall this thing is? About half of you? It's 40 inches tall. Now let me ask you this, how tall do you think the real one is? Well, it is 363 feet tall. Now, this Lego model right here, this is pretty heavy for Lego. I mean, it is really heavy. It's about five and a half pounds. Anybody know how how heavy the real Saturn V rocket is? How many millions of pounds do you think it is? Six million pounds. And the other thing about this is this this is 1,969 pieces. Now, can anybody tell me the significance of 1,969? That's the year that it, it went to the moon. So, 1969 pieces. How many pieces do you think the real Saturn V rocket has in it? Three million different parts. Yeah. So, this only took two people to build. Abby and I built this. How many people do you think it took to build the real Saturn V? Well, I don't know exactly how many it took to build the real Saturn V, but it took, NASA estimates, about 400,000 people to put man on the moon. So to build this, to build this, that's the lunar lander, that's the part that landed on the moon with the men in it, to build all of that and to figure out how to do that and to put men on the moon and bring them safely back took about 400,000 people. Now, out of those 400,000, how many do you think actually walked on the moon? Twelve. There were six Apollo missions that landed on the moon Each time, two people got to get out and walk on the moon. So it took 400,000 people to put 12 people on the moon. Now, you think those 400,000 people, do you think they all knew each other? Do they all got to meet those 12 men? This lady right here, her name is Margaret Hamilton. She was one of those 400,000 people. She actually created the software that was used in the Apollo capsule and the lunar lander. So because of her, and she was in Boston, a long way away from Florida where this launched, or Houston where they controlled the mission, yet if it wasn't for her, those 12 guys would have never stepped foot on the moon. Now, Jesus has given us a far greater mission than putting men on the moon. Jesus has given us a mission to help put people in heaven. He has given us the mission of going to all people around the world and making disciples of Him. Now, just like... Y'all sit back. Sit down, okay? Y'all sit down. So, just like it took 400,000 people and ladies like Margaret Hamilton to put those men on the moon, guess how many people it takes to fulfill Jesus' great commission? It takes all of us. It takes every follower of Jesus Christ, man, woman, and child, all around the world to do their part to help tell people about Jesus. So, for you, that may mean... 
inviting a friend to church. It may mean praying over your meal at lunch. It may mean telling someone about when you were baptized and what that means. There are so many ways. Even you as boys and girls can be a part of the greatest mission that mankind has ever known. Not the mission to go to the moon, but the mission to tell everyone in the world about Jesus. All right? So I'm going to encourage you and challenge you to think about and look for ways that you can be a part of that great mission. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us the greatest mission that there's ever been given. The mission to go into all the world and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. To baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and to teach them to obey all that you have commanded. And we know that you are with us always. You give us your presence. You give us your authority. You give us your power. And I pray you'd help these boys and girls to come to know you as their Lord and Savior and that it help other people come to know you too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you guys will come Wednesday night, Wednesday night we're going to have Lego night, and we're going to talk more about this at Lego night, okay? And I'll have all this there, and you can look at it a little bit more closely, okay? So make sure your mom and dad register you online before Wednesday so we can be prepared for you. All right? Yeah, I don't trust you, Matt. Don't touch my Legos. Oh, my goodness. All right, if you will please take your Bibles and open to Acts chapter 1. You know, the Apollo program tapped into a number of American values. You think about innovation. You think about creativity. You think about freedom and adventure and exploration and the quest for scientific knowledge. So many American values were tapped into by that program. But like I said, Jesus has given us a far more important mission than landing men on the moon. Our target is so much greater. We're shooting further than the moon. We're aiming for heaven. And we want to put more than just 12 men there. We want to put every man, woman, and child on planet Earth there. That is our goal. We want all people to step foot into God's glorious presence. And so our mission that we've been given by Jesus we call the Great Commission. And it's simple. You know, we've, we've, we've heard it, and I've preached on it I don't know how many times. So in fact, I kind of like this simple outline of the Great Commission. It's in your notes, and we'll put it up on the screen. You can think of the Great Commission like this. It's simple. There's one command, and that's make disciples. There are three principles. Go to all the world, baptize into a community of faith, and then teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded. Those are the three principles that we have to follow if we want to make disciples. And there's two promises. Jesus promises us His presence and His authority. Now, the book of Acts then picks up the story. It recounts for us the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, it enabled, and how the Holy Spirit enabled Jesus' disciples to fulfill that very mission. Acts gives us a sweeping, epic story of how the early disciples were able to take the gospel and spread it far beyond Jerusalem. In fact, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is, uh, is really a good outline for the book. It says, Jesus tells the disciples right before He ascended, He said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So in addition to Jesus' authority and presence, in this verse, He also promises us His power. We are enlisted and empowered 
to be Jesus' witnesses to the ends of the earth. And we can go with his authority and with his presence. That is our mission. Now, we as a church, we state it this way, that our mission is loving God, loving people, and making disciples of Jesus from all generations. That's what we as a church have said. That is who we are. That is what we are about. But that's just the beginning. Having a mission is just the beginning. When President John F. Kennedy issued the challenge in 1961 to put a man on the moon and return him safely to the earth by the end of the decade, America at that point had only just sent one man into space, Alan Shepard, and he didn't even make a complete orbit. He literally went up and came right back down. So when Kennedy issued this challenge, NASA then had to figure out how to make it happen. They were having to create all new science, do things that no one had ever even, even contemplated doing. And when Jesus gave his great commission and ascended into heaven, the disciples kind of felt the same way. They looked around at each other and said, How are we going to do that? How are we? We're just fishermen and tax collectors and zealots. And, and who are we? How are we going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? But Jesus had already given his answer to that question. Jesus said, we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us. Jesus explained how he was going to be present with them and empower them and give them his authority and equip them and us in the task of carrying the gospel. He explains it in, in, way back in John, in John chapter 16. Jesus said, it is for your good that I'm going away because unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will be, bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. The Holy Spirit is how Jesus equips us, empowers us, enables us to go make disciples. And this goes right back to last week's core value we talked about, about being prayer dependent, that we have to rely on the Spirit's strength and wisdom, not on our own. Without the Spirit's work in and through us, we can't stand a chance in this world. Without the Spirit's indwelling, we'll never be able to carry out the Great Commission. As we read last week in John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So that value from last week leads us right into this week's core value. And that is we as a church value being missionally engaged. I want you to read what that means with us. Being missionally engaged means, read it with me, Reaching our neighbors and the nations for Jesus. And this morning I want to walk us through a few key moments in the book of Acts to help us see exactly how the Holy Spirit empowers us to be missionally engaged. How can we reach our neighbors and the nations for Jesus? And the first thing we see is that the Spirit enables us to make disciples. The first place in Acts that we read about the Spirit's enabling believers is on the day of Pentecost, the day the Spirit came, the day the church was born. Listen to what it says in Acts 2, 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
So here the Spirit miraculously enabled the apostles to preach the gospel in other languages they did not know. I mean, could you imagine going to India and all these people are speaking languages you don't know and all of a sudden you start talking to one of them and you realize they understand what you're saying. All of a sudden they can miraculously understand what you're telling them. That's what was happening in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Now, I've heard of modern-day accounts of this happening where God gives someone the supernatural ability to speak and understand a language they previously did not know so that they could proclaim the gospel. And, And I'll admit, that's a very rare occurrence that that happens. In fact, this is the only place in the Bible that that happens. So what is the principle for us today? Well, I think we can look at three things the Spirit can enable us to do today. And the first is directly related to this. The Spirit can enable us to communicate the gospel effectively. Communicate the gospel effectively. You know, anytime I share the gospel with someone, I look for ways to contextualize it to that person or to that group of people. You know, canned gospel presentations, you're just kind of, you know, spouting off something you've memorized, are rarely effective. When you share the gospel, it needs to be personal. You need to own it. You need to share Jesus from your heart out of your relationship with Him. But also we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to help us personalize what we're saying to them. Am I speaking to a child or an adult? I'm going to to present the gospel differently. Am I speaking to someone who grew up in church or didn't grow up in church? Am I going to speak to someone who's from a different culture than I am? Am I I talking to somebody who's a skeptic or somebody who's actively seeking to know God? So those are the kinds of things. Is there an issue in their life that might be an obstacle to the gospel? You know, are they dealing with grief or addiction? Or are they going through some crisis in their life? I rely on the Holy Spirit to help me as I share Christ with them to contextualize it to where they are. That's what Paul was referring to in 1 Corinthians 9 when he said, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many people as possible. To the Jews, I became a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. So as to win those under the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. What Paul is saying is that he tried to meet people where they were and share the gospel in a way that they could understand. And we have to rely on the Holy Spirit to enable us to meet people where they are, to share Jesus with them in ways that they will receive and hopefully believe. Secondly, the Spirit enables us to share Jesus boldly. Look with me at Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 31. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servant to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. After the day of Pentecost, or on the day of Pentecost, thousands of people were added to the church. And every day after that, more and more people came to faith in Christ. And the apostles continued to preach and teach in Jesus' name and work miracles in Jesus' name. And the church grew in number and in favor with people and in their fellowship with one another. And everything was great. Until it wasn't. (laughs) Until the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious leaders, began to get worried and jealous. 
and, and feel threatened by this movement. And so they arrest Peter and John and command them to stop preaching and teaching in Jesus' name. Stop working miracles in Jesus' name. And they, they gave them a good beating for their trouble and they sent them away. And the church thought, well, maybe this is going to be harder than we thought it was going to be. And so the disciples gathered together and they prayed this prayer that we just read. They prayed for the Spirit to enable them to speak God's Word with boldness. And God answered that prayer in a powerful echo of the day of Pentecost. Like on the day of Pentecost, there was a mighty rushing wind and the Spirit fell on them. And here the room shook and they were once again filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now I want you to understand something here real quick. We receive the Holy Spirit only once. When you come to faith in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit that once and for all times. But we can be filled with the Spirit day after day after day. Being filled with the Spirit is just letting the Spirit have His His will and way in your life. Letting Him fill you up and control you. The New Testament interchangeably uses phrases, live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. But they're all ways of just describing being filled with the Spirit. And when we live with the Spirit of Christ filling us up, we will speak about Jesus with boldness. Not with timidity, not with shame, not in an awkward, embarrassed kind of way. We will talk about the Savior who loved us so much. He died for us with boldness. And third, the Holy Spirit enables us to speak and serve wisely. Early on, the church encountered some internal disputes that threatened the unity of the body of Christ. Some widows were feeling left out of the ministries of the church. Now the apostles, they were busy with prayer and with studying the Bible and preaching the Word and and leading the church. So they looked for a group of dedicated servant leaders in the church who could come alongside them in their work but focus on meeting the needs of the members. And because these men would be crucial in helping preserve the unity of the church... They needed to serve with wisdom and faithfulness. Look at Acts 6, verses 3 and 4. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. These were the first deacons. And notice that one of the qualities that came with being filled with the Spirit was having wisdom. They had wisdom. And, and it's not just sort of a, like a general you know, guru kind of wisdom. It's a common sense, practical kind of wisdom. Look on down at verses 9 and 10. Opposition arose, however, for members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, who was one of those seven first deacons. But they could not stand up against his wisdom, or the Spirit by whom He spoke. This was the kind of wisdom that we need to address skeptics and those who want to oppose or argue with us over the claims of Christ. Today, that's what we might call apologetics, the discipline of of defending the faith. And in order for us to wisely speak to those who might challenge the gospel, we've got to follow Peter's admonition. Peter said, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. How do we do that? We do it by studying God's Word that we might rightly divide the Word of truth. 
We, we, we can do it by reading books from, uh, from other Christians from, who, who are great at, at apologetics, who can help us to answer questions and explain what the Bible says. But the most important thing that we need to do is rely on the power of the Spirit to give us the wisdom. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be long to him. Guys, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a situation to, to witness to someone or someone comes with some questions and some doubts about the Bible and, 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 or maybe I'm, I'm counseling someone in a particular area and in my mind I'm, I'm sitting there kind of thinking, I have no idea what to say. Well, that's a great question. I'm not really sure what to say here. And I just pause for a moment and I pray out to the Holy Spirit and I, I tell you the truth. It's amazing the things that will suddenly come to my mind that I'll share. Bible verses and just things that I'm just... That while I'm saying it, I'm thinking, my goodness, this is good. I need to write this down. <laughs> and it's not coming from me. Trust me. It's coming from the Holy Spirit. So if you're afraid to engage people in gospel conversations, if you feel like that you're not up to the task of sharing your testimony or, or explaining the basics of the gospel, if you think, I just don't know how to lead... This. If I try to lead someone to Jesus, I'm going to mess them up then you're putting too much faith in yourself. And you're not depending on the Spirit's wisdom and strength. Trust God. Trust God who can enable you with wisdom and boldness, who can help you communicate the gospel clearly and effectively. Trust that He will instruct you in when, where, and how to share Christ. And that brings us to the second thing. The Holy Spirit enables us but the Holy Spirit also instructs us in making disciples. See, He not only gives us the power, He gives us the instructions for using that power. Look at Acts chapter 8. In verses 29 through 39, we see the story where the Holy Spirit gives Philip, again, one of those seven first deacons, He gives Philip the specific instructions on where to go to share the gospel with someone. We're not going to read all ten of those verses. Let's just look at the, at the first and the last of that story. In verse 29, it says, The Spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Now, on that chariot was this Ethiopian official. And he was reading from the book of Isaiah. And he didn't understand what he was reading. And so Philip goes to him and rides with him and explains to him what Isaiah is referring to, that he's talking about Jesus. He shares Jesus with him. And the Ethiopian official believes in Jesus and is baptized right there because Philip followed the Spirit's leading to go to that chariot. Now look down at verse 39. When they came up out of the water after he was baptized, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again and went on his way rejoicing. So we see here that the Holy Spirit can tell us where to go. Where to go. Who to go to to share the gospel with someone. As the gospel was carried to the Samaritans and the Gentiles, as you read the book of Acts, you see that every time the, the, the gospel came to a new people group, the Holy Spirit came upon them, just like the first disciples at, at the day of Pentecost, affirming the worldwide mission of Jesus. And just as, as with Philip, there are several examples of the Spirit guiding Peter, guiding Paul to specific people and places to share Jesus, sometimes even hindering them from going to other places because strategically they needed to go over here. And that same Spirit 
lives within you and me as followers of Jesus. That same Spirit can guide us to those in whom God is working and preparing for us to share the gospel with them. But we have to open our eyes and open our ears to hear God's voice, to see God's hand guiding us, to hear Him whispering to us, go this way, talk to that person. And if we will just wait and watch and listen I believe God's Spirit will guide us to those to whom He wants us to minister and witness because they're all around us. There are people all around you every day just waiting for you to obey the Spirit's prompting and meet a need in Jesus' name. Share your story with them. Invite them to come with you to church. As Peter and Paul followed the Spirit's leading and as more Gentiles were believing in Jesus and receiving the Spirit, the church in Jerusalem started to have some questions and concerns. Mainly, did these Gentiles have to become Jews before they could become Christians? Did they have to become Jews before they could follow Jesus because Jesus was a Jew and He's the fulfillment of Jewish prophecy? They needed clarification on what to do. And the Spirit gave them instructions there as well. Look with me at Acts chapter 15, verse 28. After this council in Jerusalem, or as a part of that, it says... It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. And it lists out some very basic requirements that the the church in Jerusalem said, okay, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you at least have to do these few things to show that you're following Jesus. But notice what they said. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. The Holy Spirit instructed them on what to do. See, following Jesus and helping others to follow Jesus, those things aren't easy. It's not always cut and dry. It can get a little messy sometimes. But ours is a God of grace, and He gives us so much freedom and room to live out the gospel and to follow the Great Commission. And that's what the Jerusalem Council discovered in their decision as they followed the Spirit's guidance and erred on the side of freedom and grace. As we reach people for Jesus, they're not going to necessarily look like us or talk like us or dress like us. People who didn't grow up in a church culture, they're not going to see things the way we do. They're not going to want to do things the way they do. And you know what? That's okay. In fact, it might even be a good thing. Because we need to listen to the Spirit more than we listen to our traditions and our church culture and our personal preferences. Amen? So the Spirit enables us to make disciples. The Spirit instructs us in making disciples. And finally, we see the Spirit encourages us to make disciples. Look, turn back with me a few pages to Acts chapter 9. And look at verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. So as the church follows the Spirit's leading, He enabled them to make disciples. When they faced external problems and internal issues, He instructed them in how to carry out the gospel. But then He also encouraged them to be faithful and to stay the course. Making disciples and following Jesus It can be dangerous, it can be risky, it can be messy, it can be challenging. It's not predictable, it's not formulaic. And so we need constant encouragement and strength. 
And this comes to us from God through the Spirit. As Jesus said in John's Gospel, the Spirit is our comforter, our encourager. The Greek word there is the word paraclete. It means one who comes alongside of. The Holy Spirit comes alongside of us to walk with us, to guide us, to lift us up, to encourage us. And the Gospels tell us, the Epistles tell us that we need to also encourage one another in the Spirit. So sometimes that encouragement from the Spirit comes through our brothers and sisters in Christ. As we follow Jesus in biblical faithfulness as a church, as we authentically worship Him, as we prayerfully depend on His Spirit to give us wisdom and strength, He will enable us. He will instruct us. He will encourage us to be missionally engaged with those around us and those around the world whom we'll never meet this side of eternity. Now, we as a church, to be missionally engaged, what we're saying is that we value helping people find their way back to God. It means that we commit to reach our neighbors and the nations by sharing God's unchanging message with a rapidly changing world. And that means that while the gospel message itself doesn't change, the methods we use to share the gospel have to change so that we can contextualize it by the Spirit's wisdom and leadership so that people will hear and understand and believe. How do we do that? How do we help people find their way back to God? How do we reach our neighbors and the nations with God's unchanging message? How do we know that we're embodying that value? Your strategic revitalization team helped us to identify three ways that we can demonstrate this value. The first is to equip and encourage our people to reach McDuffie County with the gospel. Now, we've offered on Sunday nights and at other times, we've offered classes and training opportunities in how to share your testimony, how to begin a gospel conversation, how to walk someone through the plan of salvation. We've offered that training in the past, and we will continue to offer that kind of training and those kinds of resources. Your Go and Tell team is working right now on helping to identify some resources and some training methods that we can use to help encourage and equip you to share the gospel with others. But guess what? You have to actually take advantage of those. It's not just enough for us to offer training, is it? It's not just enough for us to have resources for you, is it? Listen, the only way this value moves from being a value of your staff and your strategic revitalization team and actually becoming a value of this church is if you will embrace and embody this value. Amen? means that you have got to take advantage of the training and the resources when they're offered. And will you apply what you've then learned? That brings us to the second demonstrated by. That we're going to be creative and innovative in how we reach those in our community who do not yet know Jesus. Again, we offer so many opportunities to reach our community for Jesus. Trunk or treat. The Easter egg hunt. The drive-through nativity, vacation Bible school, upward basketball, and, and, and we, we seek to be intentionally evangelistic even in our, in our just, you know, ways that we try to serve people and meet needs like wonderfully stitched, uh, or the, or the women's shelter baskets, uh, or Mission McDuffie, or reaching out to new teachers and blessing the teachers in our school system at the beginning of the school year. Even in those ways, we want to infuse the gospel into what we do. Our goal as pastors and leaders is to constantly be evaluating the effectiveness 
of these witnessing opportunities. We want to think outside the box. We want to be creative and innovative. Because what worked this year may not work in five more years, right? Like I said, it's a rapidly changing world. So what we want you to do is to pray with us and try to think creatively with us how do we best reach our neighbors for Christ. Because guess what? God may plant the next great idea for an outreach event for this church or an outreach ministry for this church. God may just plant that idea in your heart. Because guess what? God just doesn't tell that stuff to me. He tells it to you. Will you say something? Will you do something? Number three, we want to engage everyone in reaching the nations through praying, giving, and going. I hope you pick up on that word, everyone. Right? That's the point I've been trying to make through these three demonstrated by values. Okay, I can't just demonstrate these. Matt can't just demonstrate these. Your deacons can't just demonstrate these. It takes who? Everyone. Listen, there are people that you will rub elbows with that I will never know. And those people are are relying on you to share Jesus with them. It takes everyone to reach our neighbors and it takes everyone to reach the world. It's like I said, 400,000 people worked together to put man on the moon. Neil Armstrong couldn't have done it by himself, could he? We need everyone working to reach our neighbors and the nations for Jesus. Now, how can you be a part of helping us do that? Well, just like it says, you can pray. And we talked about that last week. And on our website are some great prayer resources to help you pray for the nations. You can give. As we give our tithes, our offerings, as we give to special offerings like Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, and, and the Georgia Mission offering, you can be a part of touching people's lives in ways you'll never know and helping to expand the gospel. But guess what? You can also go. And that may mean going across the room or across the street. It may be going across the state or the country. It may be going across the ocean. And one of the things your Go and Tell team is working on is how can we provide more opportunities and make it easier for more of our people to have an opportunity to go on mission. Because I I guarantee you a lot of us in this room have, more than you might think. If you've ever been on any kind of mission trip, just raise your hand, any kind of mission trip, look at that. That's a lot of people. But I want everybody's hand to be raised. And we want to find ways. How can we help everyone have some kind of opportunity, even if it's just here in the state of Georgia, to go and to be on mission? But again, we can offer all this. We can talk about all this. We can budget and plan for all this. I can preach about it and we can pray about it. But nothing will change unless you do it. Unless I do it. We have to actually open our mouths and share the gospel. Now you may say, David, what is the gospel? You've talked about the gospel several times. Say, what is the gospel? It's very simple. John 3.16 puts it best. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel is the fact that God created you and loves you more than you could ever imagine. 
even though you spit in His face, even though you turn your back on Him, even though we are rebellious and we are lost in our sins, God loved us enough that His own Son came upon this earth and Jesus willingly died in our place. He took your punishment upon Himself. He took your sin upon Himself. He became guilty that you might be made innocent. And all you have to do to receive the free gift of eternal life, forgiveness of your sins, a clean slate, a fresh start, new life, a transformed heart, the only thing you have to do is believe. Reach your hand out and trust in Him and say, Jesus, I've made a wreck of my life and I know I'm lost in my sin and I need You. Would You forgive me? Would You save me? Would You live in me and make something better in my life than I've made of it? And if you will cry out to Him with that kind of faith, the Bible says you're saved, both now and for all of eternity. And you can know the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's the gospel. That's the good news. My question for you this morning is, have you done that? Do you know this morning that you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ? And you've got a home someday in heaven. If not, in just a moment, I invite you to come right here, right now, today, and put your trust in Him.